0: looking through my journals and all the quotes I've compiled from all these great Christian thinkers through the years, like what if we could just like assemble all of these into like a thing and revolutionize Christianity. And in my conversations with my, you know, the woman who would be my wife, I start to realize she said, it's what are you doing? Done, right? You dumbass. This already exists, <laughs> right? It already exists. It's the Catholic yeah, church. Yeah
1: yeah you were wanting to pull together all these things and create a new Protestant denomination that would that would instantiate these all these angles, you know it sounds so stupid yeah, when a, you put it that way, uh, but yes,
0: uh-huh. yes. Yeah. and I'm so embarrassed like when it dawned on me that that's what was happening, like I felt so stupid. <laughs> Well, hello, and welcome to another Slow and Steady episode of On the Journey with Matt and Ken. I'm Matt Swaim, along with my colleague Ken Hensley. He was a Baptist pastor. We're just scratching the surface of all the weird things I was uh, over this last episode Mm -hmm. and and into this episode. Uh, But if you want to find out more about uh, Ken and I and all of our friends over at the Coming Home Network who have been in various stages of interest in the Catholic Church, and some of us have even joined, uh, come visit us at chnetwork.org. Again, chnetwork.org. Tons of great resources there, as well as all the previous episodes of On the Journey, uh, episodes of The Journey Home, and and written stories, and a whole bunch more. But also, if you want to involve yourself in the conversations that we have over there, please do come visit us in our online community, which is community.chnetwork.org. Ken, are you ready to put me back in the hot seat?
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm ready. It's It's not really that hot, but yeah, I'm ready to do it lukewarm okay well well what what we've been doing um, as I mentioned last week we have done a lot of episodes of on the journey with Matt and Ken where we've been delving pretty deeply into some theological issues even epistemological issues issues regarding the faith uh, from all kinds of directions and what we decided to do in this series is to sort of back up and in a more personal way tell our stories that is how did we come from what we were and who we were to become Catholic I mean to to, be, to do the unthinkable, you know, to become uh, Catholic. And um, in the early part of this series, I'm interviewing Matt, and Matt's telling his story. And anyway, last week we began. Uh, I asked Matt how he came to personal faith in Christ, and then we went on from there to, well, well, what was your perception of Catholicism back when you were Protestant? And then what are the things that happened in your life that began to op- open your mind to the, you know, to the possibility that Catholicism could have something to say. And when we broke off last week, you were beginning to tell that story. You were beginning to explain, um, and maybe you can recap quickly, but how your view of things as a Protestant was beginning to become shaky, and then how you began to uh, just think about the Catholic faith. You go ahead.
0: Yeah, rather than go back through through all of it, I mean, some of the major plot points were that I was playing in Christian bands of the punk metal alternative, uh, post-punk, you know, indie rock variety, um, and playing with a lot of bands in that genre, those genres. I was also working at Family Christian Store. Uh, I was also attending Asbury College. And all those things are kind of like the main fronts on which uh, things happened. Um, But just briefly, uh, what they did was they kind of deconstructed for me my evangelical worldview. You see a lot of people who talk about their evangelical deconstructions, mm-hmm. and a lot of them are using that as a way to explain that they either don't believe in anything or that they're agnostic now, or they're they don't know what they they don't know what they believe. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, uh, this is where that evangelical deconstruction led. Um, but Family Christian Store, the first front of that uh, battle, I guess you could say. And I was trying to find some stuff. Uh, this this last episode, the previous episode, some show-and-tell items. I was trying to find the little tract that I you know, used when I first prayed for Christ to enter my heart. I still haven't found mm-hmm. that, but I did find, while looking for that, my old Family Christian Store name tag. Look at that. Oh,
1: oh, oh, that's great. It's
0: vintage. This is like a 1997 awesome. edition yeah. right there. Family okay. Christian Store. Relic from a day gone by. Um, family Christian Store was really important for me because it's one of the places where I really learned there were real live differences between Christians and it wasn't just a matter of preference and worship style. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But there was a book that came out that uh, I've cited before in, in other conversations about this, that, that really kind of hit me. There were a couple actually books by a guy named Philip Yancey. One was called the Jesus I never knew. Another was called the God who Mm -hmm. is there. And in them Yancey goes through and, in a sense, tries to do some evangelical deconstructionism of his own, saying, hey, what if we got past all the flannel graph Jesus and all these pious platitudes about God and really got to the heart of who he is as our Lord, who God is as a loving Father. And I really devoured those books because they were kind of like the first serious Christian book that I had read by a Hmm. modern author. But um, upon revisiting them, you know, because you read a book of one time and you're like, wow, that's great. You go back to it. I find that he's doing a lot of block quoting of important Christian thinkers. And much like I was talking about last time around when I was trying to find Flannery Mm -hmm. O'Connor and GK Chesterton, and I'm having trouble finding some of their stuff because it's just not in the system. I'm realizing that it's Catholic and that's why I can't get it at family Christian store. I was finding similar things with some of the people that, uh, Yancey was quoting as well. I'm like, why aren't these people in the Christian classics section? Uh, our Christian classic section of Family Christian Store started in like about 1820 or something. It was not, right. right. didn't go back real far. But at the same time, uh, it might've even been Zondervan it came out with this Bible. Um, now, if you don't know about what Family Christian Store was like in the 80s and 90s, we had walls of just Bibles, every mm-hmm. kind of Bible, not just translation that you could think of, but we had like the military devotional Bible. We had the women's devotional Bible. We had the teens devotional Bible. We had all of them right yeah yeah uh yeah tons and tons of different kinds of bibles with like little you know inserts through them but one of them that came out was called the classics devotional bible and i was like well here we go all right (laughs) you know and i picked it Mm -hmm. up what was interesting about the classics devotional bible is that it had the bible and then it had like 300 devotions um in it to kind of walk you through the year year plus one for the weekends right one for each weekday one for the weekends and but the, the reflections were from like, Charles Spurgeon and C.S. Lewis and George Fox and uh, John Calvin, your old buddy John Calvin. But there were also some things in there from, like, Thomas Aquinas and uh, from Catherine of Siena and a couple of mm-hmm. others. I think Ignatius mm-hmm. of Antioch was in there. I was like, why can't we find these people in our bookstore? Um, so again, this is this is part of it, and again, realizing that those people are Catholic starts to really make me think, well, if they're Catholic and they're a problem, then why are we allowing them in the Classics devotional Bible? Um, so all that's in the family Christian store world. Uh, in 1997, the fall of 1997, I enroll as a student at Asbury College. It's now Asbury University. They've gone up in the world, but in my time, they were the humble Asbury College, and It was only a few miles from my house where I graduated uh, in Jessamine County, Kentucky. I was at Jessamine County High School, went just up the road to the best Bible college that I knew in my county. Well, it was uh, a Methodist
1: school too, right?
0: Well, yeah, Methodist tradition. It was not affiliated with the denomination. It was Wesleyan tradition, and more specifically, Wesleyan holiness in the Mm -hmm. way that it understood itself. But there were a bunch of people from, I mean, you're in Kentucky. You got some Baptists that go there too. I went with an intent to study media cause they have a really great media program Uh, still do a fantastic media program uh, over there. Um, And I had some amazing experiences uh, as part of that. I went in wanting to do radio and everybody's like, you're crazy radios by 2005 radio's not going to even be a thing, man. What are you doing? And here I am in (laughs) 2021 still 2022 still doing radio, but um, yeah, I took a bunch of classes there that were part of the core curriculum of liberal arts uh, that, you know, were, were great and I thought would, you know, prepare me to be a, a critical thinker in the world. But my electives, I mixed it up. Um, I took a bunch of media stuff, but because of all the things I'd become interested in through playing music and through, um, you know, reading around at family Christian Store, I decided to make my electives either in English or philosophy, um, mm-hmm. you know, to try and kind of explore more of these themes of beauty and imagination that had really been pulling my heart. Um, A couple of these were really kind of formative. Uh, I took one on C.S. Lewis and the Oxford Circle that was a literature class um, that was basically focused on the fiction of C.S. Lewis or his literary criticism Mm -hmm. and the fiction written by a bunch of people kind of who were in his world, and and Chesterton was kind of in the mix of that. Um, Tolkien also as well and and some others. But I also took a a class on C.S. Lewis and philosophy, and that kind of gets you to dig a little bit little bit deeper into kind of like the the Thomistic and Aristotelian and even Augustinian tradition a little bit. Um, But then there were a couple of classes that I thought uh, were going to be just kind of like a fun, interesting elective. Uh, One of them, these are both taught by the same guy, and if he's watching this, I hope he's not going to like freak out because I've mentioned (laughs) his effect before, and he's a wonderful man, wonderful man. Um, But there was this class, it was a new professor, and he was teaching a class on G.K. Chesterton. And I thought, well, this is great. I've been hearing about this guy, and I can only get one book of his. Um, I can only get like a one-volume thing of Heretics and Orthodoxy from Family Christian Story. This will be my chance to get a whole bunch of Chesterton stuff. Um, and I had read Orthodoxy, but I I didn't really understand Orthodoxy by Chesterton. And taking that class uh, not only gave me a sort of a breadth of Chesterton's deal and what he was trying to say, but it also helped me kind of go back and revisit orthodoxy kind of with a fresh set of eyes, and suddenly it started making sense to me, and it made sense to me in a real big way. Um, Now, for a lot of people, there are other Chesterton books that do it, and I would think that in in the longer term maybe The Everlasting Man has had a deeper deeper impact or or some of Chesterton's Mm -hmm. other works have kind of hit me deeper. But in terms of just really being like able to point out my dissatisfaction with evangelicalism and point me towards like a liturgical sacramental Christianity, orthodoxy was pivotal. Um, There were three chapters in orthodoxy that really did it. Um, One was when he starts talking about the maniac and in Chesterton's, View the maniac is anybody who's just not like a common sense regular guy, and a common sense regular guy is a is a person who's like built in equilibrium. So he essentially talks about um, a a maniac is someone who takes one thing and makes makes it the whole thing. Is kind of the idea that he's sort of getting across, and this is resonating with my frustration with a lot of the versions of Christianity that I've found to be unsatisfying. That they've taken one concept like free will or grace or mm-hmm. they've taken something that is clearly arguable from the scriptures but they've argued one point to the exclusion of all the rest of the bible um mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and i was finding this in so many different forms of christianity you're like aha this is the problem the problem is not that these people have it wrong it's just they've got the one right thing that's crowding out all the other mm-hmm. right things mm-hmm. um i felt like chesterton was on to something here um, he also had uh, I mean, the second of the three chapters that really got me was The Ethics of Elfland, where he's really talking about wonder and mystery in creation. That's one of
1: my favorite. That's one of my favorite chapters in all of literature. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah.
0: If you only do one thing after watching yeah. this episode, just go read The Ethics of Elfland. But he talks uh, at the end, he gives this analogy about how, you know, part of the reason that Robinson Crusoe is such a good story is because we get like this little list of the things that Robinson Crusoe is left with on the island and with those things he must build must build a life. And it's kind of exciting that he's only got like a very limited list of them. Um, yeah, yeah. You can't add anything, but it would be a mess if you took one of them away, right? Like this is like the essential stuff. Um, And that whole concept kind of, I think really opened my mind and heart to the idea that God has left us not with just some ideas, but also on this wreck of the world, right? This, you know, (laughs) shipwreck of humanity. He's left us with creation itself. He's left us with the ability to build a world and a life out of the material things that he's left us to. That God works through stuff, right? Um, That it's not just that God leaves us with a set of core concepts, He leaves us with all of creation, and even Christ himself works through creation. He's not here to be a person who's communicating interesting ideas about the Father, right? He does that, but he also is very hands-on, right? He's very—he touches everything, right? He breathes on things. Um, He makes stuff. He spits in mud and rubs it in people's eyes. He— he he does a lot yeah. of food things. Um, so that was tells huge. People then, to
1: climb down. Tells people to climb down into baths and and, and clean and get clean and yeah. right. Or now, or
0: or even after he heals somebody, he says, "Go do the washing anyway." Um, and present yourself to the Pharisee. Like all this stuff, it matters. Um, and then I think the final one, uh, the chapter in there that really got me was the whole idea of the paradoxes of Christianity. And this came back to that question of the maniac about, you know, all these Christian traditions that had taken one really good thing and elevated it, but squished all the other good things in Christianity in the process. And in the paradoxes of Christianity, Chesterton talks about how, you know, he looks around and he sees on the pages of the newspaper, one page they're bashing Christianity for its pomp and circumstance, and another page they're the same paper they're bashing it for bashing it for its humility and hair shirts right <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> or um, every everybody in the secular progressive world of Chesterton is bashing the church but they're all bashing it it seems to him for opposite reasons like depending on you know where things are coming from and he says well maybe maybe mm-hmm. Christianity is the worst thing that has ever appeared on the planet because all these modernists can agree that it's a problem but they can't agree on why it's a problem Right. So that maybe makes you wonder if it's the one true thing. Um, and he takes this back to the incarnation that Jesus is not like half man, half elf, (laughs) right? He's not, (laughs) um, you know, one thing that transformed into another thing. He is fully God and fully man. And he is, that's a paradox, um, and that that's really kind of the way that christianity operates as a whole it's it's both and everywhere should we feast or should we fast well yes right is christ human or is christ divine yeah. well yes yeah. um yeah, and, and all of these things yeah and, see, i and, need to and, hear
1: and, i need to hear from you uh, let me just throw this in i need to hear from you sure. how this is bending how this bends you toward catholicism in particular because i can imagine um, I, I placed myself back in my evangelical boots and I can imagine listening to you and thinking, well, yeah, uh, Christians can tend to emphasize, you know, the thing about the maniac, Christians can tend temp- to te- t- t- emphasize one thing over another, but that's true of, of, of all denominations and, um, a- and the both and you're talking about, you know, uh, uh, people criticizing Christianity for being one way and then the opposite, that kind of a, that could apply to all forms of Christianity. How is this? How is this uniquely bending you in the direction of the Catholic Church? Because wasn't wasn't Chesterton talking about the Catholic Church when he was saying those things?
0: Actually, I think he might have been talking about the Church of England. Um, I think he was still a member of the Church of England when he wrote Orthodoxy. So, so he, so he was um, just talking
1: about Orthodox Christianity in his mind, right? In form that is.
0: But at the same time, I was looking around, and I wasn't seeing the kind of thing that he was talking about in my. Uh-huh. I mean, I'd see it argued in classrooms, but I didn't see it like lived robustly. Like I see mm-hmm. the ethics of Elfland, but then I go to my local church, which is built primarily for acoustics and good heating and air, you know, <laughs> flow. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to a cathedral. Actually, what's interesting is that all these ideas are simmering back in my my head, and and what it makes me think of is that. Maybe we had something really good at some point in Christianity, and it's just been watered down and kind of lost by us moderns. Mm -hmm. By us moderns, I thought I meant people from the 80s and 90s. But I wasn't sure that the Church of the 70s was it either, or the Church of the 60s, or the Church of Billy Graham's, you know, ascension. I wasn't sure what it was. Um, But in the course of this, we also had to take an art appreciation class at Asbury. And we went up from Lexington, Kentucky, up to Cincinnati. And we went to the Cincinnati Art Museum as part of it. But on the way, we stopped just across the river in Kentucky, in Covington, and visited the uh, Basilica of the Assumption there. Now, I don't know anything about Mary at this point. Like, other than she gave birth to the baby Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's We just don't ever talk about her. And so I make the crack as we're bus, our bus is pulling up into this the uh, the parking lot for the Cathedral Basilica of the Assumption. I'm like, well, this seems like an awfully large building to build based on an assumption, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and, of course, we go in, and it's the largest stained glass, hand-blown stained glass window in, I can't remember if it's the country or, but it's a big stained glass window. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm walking into this building, and I've never been in a Catholic church, to my recollection, ever before. And I'm just stunned. And I'm floored. I'm like, this is the kind of place that Chesterton would have talked about worshiping in. And we don't have anything like this in my, at that time, free Methodist world. Like, it's clear that just like Flannery O'Connor and Tolkien and Walker Percy and Graham Greene and all these others were writing from a place of like richness and depth and oomph before, because they were Catholic. It's clear that the people who built this building didn't build it because they liked prettier things, but it's coming from like some deep stuff. Mm-hmm. It's coming from the kind of depth that Chesterton was alluding to when he's talking about um the ethics of Elfland. Like I feel like I'm in the middle of a huge mystery. Um hmm and it's exciting. It's a little scary, but it's also exciting. Again, all that's happening can... Well, I'm still living in central Kentucky, there is one tiny parish in the whole county of Jessamine County, and I'd never set foot in it. And I didn't know anybody who went to it except for one neighbor that lived a couple of streets down from my parents, and I don't think I ever talked to them about Catholicism. And these these things are happening in me in me that are making me think, this... Catholicism thing is big and deep and rich and thick and mysterious. And I don't know if it's true, but man, is it interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I relate to that. I relate to that thoroughly. You know, your story just kind of, I have to admit, your story just blows me away. Um, Once you, once we turn the tables and you begin to interview me, this will become clear, but it just blows me away because so far you haven't talked about one doctrinal issue. You haven't talked about, uh, you know, a different view of the Trinity or, or the canon of Scripture or sola scriptura or justification by faith alone or even Mary's assumption. You haven't talked about any doctoral things. It just seems like what's happening in your life, um, you know, I mean, first of all, that kind of breakdown in the church that, that, you, that, that you experienced is more about, I'm not even sure how to put it into words, but it's it's more about you just through these various avenues of literature and art um, and, and even a, a building, architecture, and these chapters in Chesterton, it, it, it's all about your imagination, again, being baptized somehow or being expanded out to where you're kind of becoming... You're kind of becoming—I don't know—board's right word, but you're beginning to see your evangelicalism is sort of thin, like thin gruel, like thin soup. And you I mean that's a good to way see... to put it?
0: You know, I was joking with a friend of mine who we were having this conversation with, uh, and and he's been walking through some of the, the pieces of this mm-hmm. process um, of late. And you know, I just—I was like, man, I felt like when I go back to that world now, as—and this is the sense that I was getting at the time that I was mm-hmm. like single ply christianity (laughs) like that was kind of what i was dealing with or it's like have you ever um you've had these same towels in your house like bath towels for the past 25 years and you you know you get out of the shower year 25 you're like i suppose this thing gets me dry it works you know it came out of the dryer it's nice and warm and then your wife is like no we're getting new towels and then the first towel comes out of the dryer and it's like thick and fluffy and warm and all encompassing and you're like yeah This is what a towel was always supposed to be. Um, But Mm -hmm. I felt like, you know, in a sense, um, my Christianity had like sloughed off so many good rich things that it was just kind of like a like a thinner, a thinner reality. All this time, by the way, as I'm reading the classics devotional Bible, as I'm, you know, having like thoughts looking into this cathedral, as I'm reading Chesterton and underlining every other line. I'm packing these all into like journals and scrawls, and I'm trying to like insert them into the songs that I'm writing, and and trying to piece together like what is this thing that I can't get at? Uh, how could I possibly like assemble all the good pieces of this and start a revolution within Christianity to reclaim it? Um, that's kind of how I was thinking of all of this stuff, mm-hmm. uh, because again, I'm not, I don't know any Catholics, I don't have to drive by any Catholic churches in my daily world. Yeah, so so that's you, my were, mindset. you were in
1: Thurking... You weren't thinking I'm I'm becoming an Eastern Orthodox or I'm going to become Catholic like you were no. just. Yeah. It's like
0: i I could go to a, I could go to a Greek Orthodox church my whole life and never be Greek right same with Russian Orthodox like that wasn't right those to me those to me were too like regional right even the Church of England I was like it's too regional like I was looking for something that was like this thing that could like revolutionize you Christianity around the world and across time.
1: You might fit in the Bulgarian, though. Bulgarian Orthodox. Bulgarian Orthodox. (laughs) Or or Romanian. No, they're all national, I know. Um, They smell the Kentucky on me. You know, I remember early on, just brief aside, I remember reading um, Thomas Howard's book, Evangelical is Not Enough, which Mm -hmm. is one of the first books I read. And his focus was quite a bit along the lines of what you're saying, that he was just, he was being... uh, he was being exposed to a more ancient liturgy um and he was in in, in liturgy by the way on... hadn't even
0: come into the question yet for me like liturgy hadn't yeah, come into the question word. either yeah
1: well, but just the church the look of the church the lighting the incense the the, the whole thing the ar- the architecture and i know he was grappling in that book with the fact that is uh, that it that in the evangelicalism he had grown up in he was starting to think that we were that people are treated as though they were like a, like um, non embodied spirits, you know, like minds. The worship was all about your mind, like learning a lear, learning mm-hmm. doctrine or speaking to God, singing hymns or praying. But that your body was a separate thing; it was almost platonic. Your body could drop off; it wouldn't have anything to do with it. Sure. And and he was beginning to realize too that the beauty of creation that God had created us to be embodied souls and that our bodies are important and he began to fall in love with the fact that uh that well not just catholicism but the more ancient forms of christianity take into account your eyes what you see wanting mm-hmm. there to be beauty take into account what you smell you know the incense take your body into account kneeling sure. standing and all of that and he, he, he this sounds similar to what you're saying too you were just being one one to something you didn't know what it was yet, but you were being just drawn into something that would feel more whole and more complete, deeper, more mysterious. Would take in all that life is um, as a human being living in a body and living in a created world. Is
0: I wish right? I had gotten a copy. Yes, and I wish I had gotten a yeah. copy of "Evangelical Is Not Enough" by Thomas Howard at this point in my journey because it would have shaved about yeah. five years off of it. <laughs> well, more, more more like three, but still. Um, I didn't know who Thomas okay. Howard existed. I did, however, yeah. know that his sister Elizabeth Elliot uh, existed because of the story yeah, the of Jim Elliot uh, yeah. being. I mean, he was closest thing we had to a, a, a modern martyr saint, you know, in the worlds that I ran in. But also because uh, Elizabeth Elliot's book *Passion and Purity* mm-hmm. was a big. Uh, the ladies liked to read that when they were looking for, you know. Look Good at the, the, us guys on campus and being like, "Yeah, you guys got to get it together because you're not you're not fulfilling." You know, what you ought to be if you want to be decent husbands in this life. But, um.
1: Okay, well, go ahead and move forward, though. What happens then? What happened next?
0: Yeah. So, I graduated college and playing in lots of bands. I actually took like an extra semester off to try and play in bands. I really thought that I was going to be a a rock and roll star on the, you know, Christian rock and roll circuit, or not even necessarily Mm -hmm. the Christian rock and roll circuit. At this point, we're playing with a whole bunch of bands from all different traditions uh, and no religious faith at all. Straight edge bands were playing with because straight edge guys don't believe in drinking or smoking at that time. And neither did we, or, you know, various phases that, uh, that we went through, but my playing took me to Cincinnati and I was looking for a way to get out of, you know, this Bible college town. And, uh, the place that I played in Cincinnati was run by a group of People from Cincinnati Bible College, which is now Cincinnati Christian University, like Asbury, it's upgraded its name, um, mm-hmm. which is founded in the Stone Campbellite tradition. That school is the Restorationist tradition, and if you don't know anything about the Church of Christ, which is what is you know kind of come out of that, they don't even consider them themselves a denomination. Uh, right. They, right. their, you know, deal is like you know just get back to the scriptures, and then we'll be all on the same page. Which of course is about the noblest idea a Protestant can have, <laughs> right? But it's also an idea that doesn't really work very well in execution. Um, because a lot of the people that I was with in this group were people who had run afoul of the powers that be over at Cincinnati Bible College because they'd gotten tattoos mm-hmm. or been caught smoking on campus or something like that. Um, but they had developed kind of like this community of people that, um, and their goal was to reach out to people who maybe um, had had a terrible experience of Christianity, whether their parents had like rejected them, um, mm-hmm. whether they just tried to go to church once and got judged out of the room. The goal was to like create a community that you know would be more like kind of the messy hanging out with tax collectors and senators vibe that Christ Himself would have had. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, uh, this group met inside of a an old Catholic church that the Archdiocese of Cincinnati had sold off um, for a song uh, during some of the consolidations. So old St. George was this old Franciscan parish. and I lived in the friary of it. And we lived in this big building. We threw punk rock shows in this building, which again was, it used to be this old, big, beautiful church, but they mm-hmm. had weddings in there, events. There was like a coffee shop. There's a little bookstore in the back of it um, with more of the, Christian classics. Their their classics actually did go back because there was an Episcopalian who had run this, and he read a lot deeper and older than the average evangelical. But um, being in this place again, I'm like, we would never build, let alone discard, a building like this in my evangelical tradition. Mm -hmm. Um, but the uh, in the course of this, also, I begin to try and find people. On message boards, who are maybe having these same kind of thoughts about Christianity and art and music, um, and in the days before, this is the days before Facebook, slightly before Facebook. It's in the days of Friendster and MySpace, and there's also you know layers beyond that, like these social networks that were basically message boards for musicians to connect with each other and help get gigs from city to mm-hmm. city. You're playing in one big city one day, another big city. Four days later, how do you play in a few basements along the way? A lot of that kind of stuff um, is how people would put structure these. And in the course of this, I've met Mm -hmm. this girl who uh, was into a lot of bands I was into, but was also into G.K. Chesterton. And I struck up the conversation with her about all these concepts. Uh, This woman would later become my wife. But (laughs) in the course of it, really, um, I'm bouncing for the first time. I'm bouncing all these ideas that I've been having off of a Catholic. I didn't realize that's what was going to happen when I first reached out to this person who was into G.K. Chesterton and similar bands. So so she's kind of my Beatrice, you know, for part of this, um, helping clarify that what the thoughts that I've been having are actually Catholic thoughts. Um, in the course of this, and this is where things really start to come to a head, uh, is that I look back on my life and I had been part of the United Methodist Church as a kid. My family had moved to the Church of the Nazarene, a smaller denomination in terms of its national numbers. Uh, We had moved away from there, joined the Free Methodist Church, which is smaller even than the Nazarenes. Mm -hmm. I had then moved to Cincinnati and joined a group of restorationists who didn't even believe that they were a denomination, who were starting essentially a Bible study um, that I was helping lead music for and that— everybody but me called house church. I didn't want to call it that. (laughs) Right. Um, a good friend of mine, wonderful guy ended up being ordained in the process. And shortly after that, they started doing kind of like open communion, um, where, you know, you'd play a little music, you'd have the elements of the bread and the juice on the table and whoever wanted to could kind of go up. Um, I don't know if this is a, if this was the thing that was really kind of more of the you know, a trend of the time within the Church of Christ, or it was—I'm not sure what. what no, kind it was of broader that than that. Approach. I've
1: seen that. I've have seen that in other forms of non-denominational yeah. evangelicalism. Sorry. Uh,
0: all I knew is that I developed enough sacramental sensibility to where I couldn't, uh-huh. I couldn't still do that um, uh-huh. anymore. And in all this, and even when I was part of this this house church communica- community, which I always tried to be careful and call it Bible study because I, I was starting to get enough ecclesi- ecclesiological sensibility to where i I knew that this, you couldn't just grab a couple of people and call it church. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I still had this kind of idea that, you know, looking through my journals and all the quotes I've compiled from all these great Christian thinkers through the years, like what if we could just like assemble all of these into like a thing and revolutionize Christianity. And in my conversations with, my, you know, the woman who would be my wife. I start to realize. She said, "It's What are you doing, done, you right? dumbass? This already exists, <laughs> right? It already exists. It's the Catholic yeah, Church. Yeah.
1: yeah, you were wanting to pull together all these things and create a new Protestant denomination that would that would instantiate these all these angles. You
0: know, it sounds so stupid yeah, when like, you put it that way. Uh-huh, but yes, uh-huh. yes. Yeah. And I'm so embarrassed. Like when it dawned on me that that's what was happening. Like I felt so stupid. <laughs> like. Um like I felt like what, what are you kidding me there's a billion person congregation that has never you know stopped the line moving since Peter that already exists that has all these things
1: mm-hmm. that you're
0: trying to recreate whole cloth um the the way I try and describe it um when I had this sort of <clears throat> dawning and I don't think it was a moment. It was kind of like over just a few weeks, where there were just several conversations where I realized, like, do you listen to yourself, man? <laughs> Are you listening to what's coming mm-hmm. out of your mouth? Um, I I essentially began to think of myself as a as a as a bit of a like a, a theological grave robber. Like I would go in like the classics mm-hmm. devotional Bible, like back in the day, but in the modern day, like reading through John of the Cross or Teresa of Avila or Catherine of Siena, Thomas Aquinas or G.K. Chesterton mm-hmm. or Dorothy Day or, or or anybody, I'd be going in, taking the pieces of what they had that I liked, bringing them out, leaving the body that produced Dorothy Day over there, right? Right, but Taking right. the coolest things she said, the stuff that I thought proved me correctly. Great, uh, And assembly, <laughs> assembling them into my own little treasure chest o- of what Christianity should just be. Open her,
1: you just open her casket and start taking a few things, you know, a little bit of A few things, Catholic bit social
0: a, teaching here, you know, a little yeah, bit of... But, Care and take, for an the ear- poor here.
1: take an earring off take the flower Chesterton's imagination you
0: will know? we'll, will strip out little thomas aquinas's like you know harmony of faith and reason even a few things from john paul ii because uh, catholic social teaching was actually a big part of of this too and the whole culture of life culture of death that had a way of looking at the world that i was that i found so refreshing
1: you weren't the first person to do that and you weren't the only one doing it i mean th- this yeah. is happening all over the evangelical world now where people yeah. are reaching out and trying to restructure and trying to think how can we pull this beautiful thing in that we've that we've yeah. lost or yeah, Brian so McLaren it, was very, really hitting very really
0: natural. hard with this. Uh, you know, there was this sense of like uh-huh. uh, Brian McLaren and, and the emergent church. Uh, so a lot of what I was doing yeah, was the emergent overlapping church. with the the emergent church movement or postmodern yes. Christianity. And when I when I finally had this realization, those are the people I got the maddest at because I knew that's how I had thought this whole time. And I now knew what a fraud I had been, <laughs> right? Um, for for trying to assemble this thing from scratch when it already existed. And so I honestly no. Let me play it devil's was a lot of advocate for pride you, though. On that part.
1: Okay, de- devil's advocate on your behalf, though, it, that you weren't being a fraud. I mean, the worldview you understood was basic Protestant worldview, which meant which meant mm-hmm. we've got a Bible, and we learned from the Bible. And then we yeah. do our best to, you know, to flesh that out into the world, you know. And so what you were doing was kind of natural. I mean, it, it would have been natural for you to think, hey, look, I'm seeing all these pieces. I need to become Catholic, <laughs> you know, it, 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 because you still would have thought, well, Catholicism's crazy that, you know, if you were put yeah. up against a wall, why is Catholicism crazy? You could have listed four or five or six different things. So it, it was actually very natural for you. Now, yeah, it might be pride, too, you know, to think that you're going to create your own denomination. But. But it's kind of natural. I didn't think of it as pride. I just thought of it go. as like
0: you know, I was uh, a modern Saint Francis come to yeah. rebuild the church or something. I don't know what I thought because, I was thinking.
1: Because in, you know, in emerging churches or in the even or or postmodern churches or or just evangelical churches, when someone goes out one day and says, "Hey, you know what? Let's get some candles and let's let's dim the lights and let's put some candles around, you know, and that will evoke something mysterious and wonderful." They're not thinking you know, we're gonna steal this from Catholicism, and we're gonna leave the body, lay a leg in the grave, right? You know, That's not what I was thinking. thinking. They're I was thinking, thinking this they is old and
0: ancient and beautiful. Why do we? Wh- yeah, yeah. Why, why do we do this did we anymore? Yeah. Th-
1: well, and uh, the reason is because that is carnal. That's your body again. You know. Yeah. You know, like worship should be in spirit and in truth, and for you to get it. Right. Mean, this is why. Uh, now, you mentioned the Church of Christ, of course, that they don't have anything, no music, no images, but this is why a lot of forms of evangelicalism from the beginning of, or, well, Protestants, or from the beginning of the Reformation were wanting to go in and tear out stained glass windows and throw away things, you know, mm-hmm. crosses and crucifixes and all that, because that's considered to be fleshly. It's carnal. Your worship of God should be sp- pure, in sp- meaning spirit and truth. And bear in mind, be you know, just you know yeah.
0: the church of christ friend yeah. of mine who's a uh, continues to be a wonderful man i mean he was not quite like those yeah. other church of christers i mean he has like stained glass windows tattooed on his arms and stuff right you know so there's very there's a range oh, that, of how this is understood but still that's an oddball
1: um, that's an oddball yeah that's an odd, oddball church of christ guy but
0: it, it's, <laughs> oddball it's oddball ball in like, a very beautiful way if you y- ask yeah, me yeah. but uh but yeah it's still it's it's this it's this idea that that i'm going to be the measure of which things are good enough for me to yeah. keep Um, and, and again, I, whenever I go back and try and think about what I must've sounded like when I was, you know, talking to people about this all the time, I'm like, were people like rolling their eyes and I just didn't notice it, (laughs) you know, because of the way that I feel like I sounded, uh, in all of it. But, but again, I think there was, there were a couple of different emotions that I had. And I like to say that I came from a continuum of, Complete ignorance towards Catholicism to uh, mild curiosity about Catholicism to deep and utter fascination about Catholicism mm-hmm. to this thing where I was like, "Yeah, this would be a cool thing that I could be involved with." With after everybody I know who would freak out about it is dead, right? <laughs> to a like just a deep <laughs> and abiding conviction that I must be yeah um. part of the church that Christ founded, um, and that was a that was a years and years long process, and I think that it really started um when i was in junior high and that scandal hit my nazarene church and i knew that i was no longer at home mm-hmm. so that's that's kind of it okay. like that's when i when i knew that i had to that, that there was a home and i wasn't in it yet and that's that was alright and, it,
1: and it, at this point though you've met this young woman and you're expressing these ideas and she's saying to you flat out this already exists this is called this the already catholic exists. church so, yeah. so she's beginning to debate this with you a bit, or she's beginning to toss this into your face. Um, you know what? This might be was, a good time to break off. This might be a good time yeah, to break was, off. She was, was a lot kinder of to me than that, but she
0: did call me on my yeah. stuff uh, quite often.
1: So she yeah. wasn't throwing it into your face exactly. Okay. No, no. Well, well, listen, um, if you want to kind of wrap up, this is probably a good time to break. And then next uh, week when we get back together, I guess you can pull this together and you can you can start with what you just said, you know, that you were feeling like, wow, I've got to be in this church, but I have to wait till everyone I know dies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause they'll go Pretty crazy. Much. Cause they'll Pretty go nuts. Much. Okay.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, that's, I mean, I guess yeah. a good place as any to, 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 to stop. Uh, and, you know, bear in mind, and uh, we mentioned this last, last episode, you know, part of the reason that we're doing this is because, you know, we haven't talked enough about our own like specific journeys. Uh, right. We've talked about like, things that we dealt with on doctrinal issues but uh, but also because the flow of these conversations is also kind of the flow of the structure of our coming home network retreats where we get a few different people who are at various mm-hmm. stages of their interest and in, in inquiry uh together to kind of hash some of this stuff out and do exactly what you and i are doing um in this series ken so if you're interested in that go to chnetwork.org retreats um again chnetwork.org slash retreats we'd love to to have you and especially if you come from a, a background of like where you're in a, a role of leadership in pastoral ministry um let us know because we'd love to be able to include you in that um mm-hmm. uh, in one of those and make it worth your while to get you out there but also uh again come visit us in our online community which is community.chnetwork.org again community.chnetwork.org ken i'm exhausted you pulled you pulled so much out of me this episode, so I don't know what I don't know what's going to be what's going to be going on. I didn't, in episode three, I didn't pull
1: it out. I just said talk, and you story. started talking. I didn't I, I didn't pull anything. Um, you know what? Your story is really fascinating to me, and so I, I'm eager for us to get together next week. I want to hear how it goes from there. Okay, now that you're now that you're seeing this thing and you're thinking you need to be a part of it, um, there must have been doctrinal issues. There must have been problems because you knew that Catholic, the, the Catholics were crazy. You knew that, right?
0: It was starting to dawn on me that I might be the crazy one. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay. Okay. Okay, good. It's a very Chestertonian thing, right? But Yeah, uh, right.
0: Um, but yeah, my criticisms were saying more about me than they were about the church at that point. But yeah, we'll get into that next time right. around. In the meantime, Ken, okay. the hot seat was not that hot. I okay,
1: good day. Good day. We'll see you next week.
0: See you next week.